0: Will you turn, please, to Revelation 16, verse 16, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Armageddon means the hill or the mountain of slaughter. Next Sunday night, the Lord willing, I shall speak on the subject of Jerusalem, as I promised. And I hope that many of you will be able to bring others here because I'd like to just give you the outline and the sweep and the final glory that shall be Jerusalem's next Sunday night. And then I shall be away because I'm going down to Brazil to be with Dr. Geros in his conference there in Recife. So I'll be away the next Sunday. Armageddon. It is the last war, the war that will end wars. And it is yet to come to pass. I must confess that I have a strange feeling these days, which is born of my faith. We believe the Bible and we know it's God's plan, how He chose Abraham, ordained that there should be Isaac and Jacob and Israel and the land and the coming of the Messiah, and then their rejection. He was despised and rejected, our Savior. And then. <clears throat> The Lord opened the door to the Gentiles and Paul went forth the great missionary. Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were carried off into slavery, and exile. And the New Testament church has been carrying on its mission to the Gentiles and always through the centuries there have been some Jews that have been saved as God said they would be. There would be a remnant according to the election of grace. Paul said he was a part of it as a Jew. But God said there would come an end to these things. There would be an end of it. And that these promises that God made to Israel concerning the land and concerning the city and concerning his Son, Jesus Christ, would be fulfilled. And to just live in the end time. We are in the end time. In fact, I've been thinking this afternoon I'd rather be alive today than at any time in the history of the world. It's just thrilling to be alive today. It's just a marvelous thing to live today and see the challenge and see what's taking place and then see this blessed book and see the consummation here on this earth. Things are taking place. Things are heading up very rapidly to bring to pass what this book says is going to come to pass. And our Savior is the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's the beginning. He's the ending. It's all been planned out in the eternal counsels of God. And to realize that we're here at this point, at this stage, it just rejoices your soul. We believe everything that God has been pleased to tell us. The revealed things are for us. They're for us. And then for our children. But the secret things belong to the Lord our God. And we let many of these things rest because they're secret. But all oh, the many things he's revealed, the many things that are here, they're ours. And they're ours to enjoy. They're ours to consider and to study and to wait their accomplishment. And so we live. Watch, watch, watch. We're awaiting people. We're an anticipating people. We're a people who's looking for the coming of the Lord. And somehow or other, these days seem to make Christ so much more real, so much more personal, so much more a human being. He arose from the dead, He had the power to do it. He ascended up into heaven, He had the power to do it. He sits at the right hand of the Father tonight. Somewhere in this massive universe of ours is Jesus Christ tonight. He's there. And in his hand is the power that sustains the universe, the power that protects his little bride, the church. And now he's getting ready to leave that place and come back down to this earth again. And the church has always believed that he would come back visibly personally we'd see he would speak and his voice will be like the sound of many waters this one in whom we delight it's so personal it seems to be so real and now things are shaping up to such an extent that we can stand here and with the greatest anticipation say Lord show me these things out of thy law open up these things to the Scripture." I gave a message this morning that maybe I ought to give here. Uh, it's We've never given it here, of course. I just prepared it for this morning on the land grants, the land grants, the land grants. But he promised Abraham for land, and Isaac for land, and Jacob for land, and David for land. All these, they're all here. But beloved, God has laid a basis here and has built this thing up, and now we're coming to a time. When his promises to Israel as a nation, as a people, are coming to pass. They appear to be coming to pass. And then when you look at this book and you begin to... Someone said to me after this sermon this morning, Dr. McIntyre, my problem is fitting the things in the Bible together. Well, I think that's all our problem. We all have that problem. Some of the things in the Bible are just as clear as can be, and you don't have any trouble. But there are other things that you have a little trouble trying to put them together. I said, well, unless you they fit together nicely, don't try to force them. <laughs> don't try to force them. And our problem is that too many people are trying to force things. And consequently, I think in the next few months, maybe the next year or two, you're going to hear more Bible teachers out talking about Israel and I was the first preacher in the country, got on the radio and broke this thing open and stirred a lot of these people. Now the thing's relaxed. A man said to me from uh, from, uh, up in Grand Rapids, Dr. McIntyre, you're the first man that did it. He says, now they're all going to start doing it. And he says, you're going to hear prophetic messages and preachers are going to mount sensational subjects and you're going to have everything in the world straightened out here in these fundamental churches. And some preachers are going around with all kinds of sensational topics because they're forcing things just a little bit. But let's not do that. Let's go as far as we can clearly go. And when we can't go any farther, well, we'll wait and the Lord will give us more light. But there's some things about these end days that we have plenty of light on. One of them is the Battle of Armageddon. Plenty of light on that. The battle is called. The battle is named. And the stage that's set for it. And it's a battle of Armageddon, which is to be fought there in the Bad valley of Megiddo or amount of slaughter and it is to be uh, a mighty gathering of all the nations of the world all the forces of the world against Israel Israel thought she was in bad condition when she had the Arabs against her plus the communists but she hadn't started yet Just wait till we get on down the road a little further. Just wait till this tribulation takes place. Just wait till we get into that. And, beloved, it is going to be so terrible. If you think the atom bomb is a fearful thing, this tribulation, this day of wrath, and the day of the Lord that's described by these prophets and what it's going to mean, what it's going to do on this earth, and what Revelation says, you better think about fleeing those days and get ready to escape those days as our Savior said. Be saved, and then you'll be caught up with the church when the time comes for us to go any moment. But this Battle of Armageddon is the final great showdown. And by that time, when we get to the end of this tribulation period, you're going to have the beast, you're going to have the Antichrist, the false prophet. You're going to have the old devil with all his power manifesting himself here upon the earth. Now will you turn to that passage in Revelation 16 to which I referred in my scripture tonight and the Lord is telling John here about what he calls the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The battle of that great day. Verse 14. They, these uh, spirits, devils working miracles, which go forth in unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And then verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. The whole world. And do you notice verse 13? And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, the false prophet, we think, is the Antichrist. The dragon, of course, is Satan. If you'll turn back to the 11th chapter, turn over to the 11th chapter, the book of Revelation usually defines its terms for you, usually gives you this story. Uh, No, turn, I guess it is, the 12th chapter, verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. That great dragon. He is the devil, he is the serpent, he is Satan, and he is out to deceive the whole world. And one of the things that impresses me right now as we read these prophetic passages is that over and over again you find the emphasis, don't you be deceived. Let no man deceive you. If you'll notice the Olivet Discourse of our Lord as it opens in Matthew 24 and also Luke 21, the opening of the Olivet Discourse where our Savior really opens up these questions about the end time, And in the opening sentences, our Lord says, Luke 21, verse 8, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many false Christ, for many shall come in my name. Many, 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 the deception. And one of the primary concerns of a Christian right now is that he be not misled and that he be not deceived. And that's exactly what's going on with this new confession of faith. People are being deceived by it. That's exactly what's going on in our country so far as this uh, 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 Glassboro Summit meeting is concerned. That's exactly what's going on in this country so far as our relationships here to the United Nations are concerned. We're being deceived. Now, this passage here in Revelation says that the dragon himself, that is Satan, he will be engaged in this ministry of deception. The beast, this is the world political leader and dictator described in Revelation 13, the first one in that chapter, and the false prophet. So here is satanic power. Here is your political power. Here is your religious or uh, ecclesiastical power. For they are the spirits of devils the spirits of devils working miracles. You are going to witness as we come into the end time the greatest manifestation of satanic supernatural manifestation that will far exceed anything that Satan was able to produce in Egypt in the days when the satanic-inspired soothsayers soothsayers tried to match the the signs that, uh, that, that Moses was giving. Satan, during these latter days, is going to have the day of his power and the day of his glory. And he's going to blind the nations. He's going to blind the Gentiles. He's going to blind the kings of the earth. That's his task. And we're told here he's going to deceive the nations, and they're all going to come. They're all going to be gathered there at this great battle, the great battle of our God. Now will you turn, please, to the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation. And notice first verse 11. I think we might open with that. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And then we have his description of him. And the armies, verse 14, which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of it goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite what? The nations. The nations. All right, now, verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, all you birds, gather yourselves unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, of them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Now at this point you and I just have to stand here. We can't put the exact sequences of this together. It's impossible. I think it's impossible for us to say this will be at this second this will be at that second this will be at this second. Well, last Sunday night, if you heard the message, and I came to the climax, and we had that great passage in Zechariah, and we had that great passage also in Romans 11, those two great passages. And let's turn to Romans 11 first for just a moment. And in this concluding section of... By the way, I'm going to be preaching on the 9th, 10th, and 11th chapters of Romans every night this week down at Cape May. 9, 10, and 11. Every night I'll be expounding these passages. But uh, this is the passage. Notice first, I would not, verse 25, I would not have you to be ignorant. Would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest ye Gentiles should be wise in your conceit. That blindness in part has happened to Israel. They're blind in part. There's some that see. There's some Jews that are saved. You know, these, these Jews are all over there in Jerusalem. They're all so excited and they're all having such a big time in their victory, but they don't understand what's happened. They don't understand what's happened. They talk, cry out for David and they don't understand it. They're yelling these things and we Gentiles can hear them and and they're blowing the ram's horn and we Gentiles can read these things and uh, they've taken over the city and yet we read the Bible and Jesus said they would take it over someday when Jerusalem would be trodden down of the Gentiles until their days were fulfilled. They don't see these things. We see in these things many, many things that just thrill our souls. Blindness in part has happened to Israel till the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. But now verse 26 And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Now turn, if you will, back to Zechariah, the 14th chapter. Turn over to Zechariah, the 14th chapter. And you have this passage to which we've made reference a number of times. In verse 2, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle all nations. Beloved, there's enough hatred in the Middle East tonight with all that the Arabs are doing against the Jews. There's enough hatred in the communist world, enough hatred generated by what the communists have done to last until that day. Enough of it right now. This old hatred of Israel is generated throughout the world by the Arabs and by the Communists and by the others that just hate the Jews generally, to last a long time. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. In other words, this war is going to be raging at this time. All the nations are against it, and half of that city is going to be taken. And there will be a little group there cut off, not cut off. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Beloved, it is at that moment, as I said last Sunday night, that these unbelieving Jews, these jews who are the seed of abraham according to the flesh and the sons of jacob according to the flesh it's in that moment when they shall see the lord in all his personal reality just as paul saw him on the road to damascus they'll see him in all his power and he'll be bringing with him the hosts of heaven his elect from one end of the heavens to another, he'll be gathering this great host as he comes. And incidentally, I'll be in that. Incidentally, you and I will be there that day. We'll see this. Thing. Just incidentally, that's all a part of our part in this thing. And then they shall see. And there shall come out a deliverer out of Zion and all Israel. All the Jews in the city will cry, Yes, this is the Son of David. This is the Messiah. But uh, his hands are pierced. His hands are pierced. Then they shall wail. They shall moan. They shall cry as one that moaneth for their own son. And they'll say, Yes, we've rejected him. We've been mistaken all these years. We've been mistaken all these centuries this one who was crucified was the son of David. The one who was crucified, the one who was despised and rejected, this is the Savior and the Messiah. Now that's going to happen. The very city that rejected him, there'll come a day when there'll be nobody left to help them except help from outer space. There'll be nobody left to come and keep His promises with them but the Prince Himself and He shall come. Drama, beloved, you and I haven't begun to see drama yet. We haven't begun to see the stages that's going to unfold. We haven't begun to see, but it's coming. Now, beloved, Can you imagine the old devil with these evil spirits conspiring with the kings of the earth and getting all the nations together there? And this is the battle of Armageddon. It's just at this time. Now, how the two fit together, here's Armageddon, here's Jerusalem. If all the nations are there, there's going to be a pretty big crowd. If all are going to be gathered, there's going to be a tremendous array of power. Tremendous array of power. But what kind of array of power will it be when the unveiling takes place and the Son of God appears Uh, We'll turn over to Matthew 25. I'm sure we can... uh, 24, I'm sure I can get it to you there. 24th chapter of Matthew. All right. uh, Verse 27. As for the lightning, as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth to the west, so even also shall the coming of the Son of Man. Now this is the verse. For wheresoever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. They're going to be carcasses, carcasses, carcasses. The supper of the great God. Birds come and eat the flesh of kings. Birds come eat the flesh of captains. Come eat the flesh and see how these armies are decimated and destroyed. Verse twenty-nine. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be dark and the moon shall be turned, shall not give her light. Then shall there appear. Verse thirty. The sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. The rapture will have had to take place before that moment. And here he comes now. And he comes to deliver Israel. Here he comes to defeat and to disperse these nations. And his appearing, beloved, in that great moment will involve drama and the display and the manifestation of power the like of which you and I have never, ever begun to conceive. I've often wondered when the kings of the earth and when the dragon and when the beast and when the false prophet, they've all put their power together, and here they're to make war. To make war. And then here comes the Lord. And the trumpet's bringing everybody from all heaven. All this final great this are they going to shoot their rockets? Are they going to use the moon? Are they going to use this? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are they going to use their atomic weapons? Well, you couldn't possibly destroy Jesus Christ with an atom bomb or a hydrogen bomb or any other kind of bomb. It's impossible to get rid of him. It's impossible. Just what is that array going to be in that final stage in the day is coming? And beloved, what I want is for the rapture to come and take us out tonight and then let the stage unfold according to these divine prophecies and just as this Bible predicted the place where Jesus would be born it predicts the final last battle on this earth between the united forces of the world a beast an antichrist a dragon and then here comes the great intervener the deliverer from the skies who has in his hands the power of resurrection and no earthly king has to No powers of hell have such power as that. He alone possesses it. Beloved, some of these descriptions over here about the battle of Armageddon where it says the flesh is going to just melt off their bones and their eyes are going to drop out of their sockets. What is he going to use? What will it be like? That's the Battle of Armageddon. Where is it fought? Well, it's Megiddo right there near Jerusalem, just a little ways over the side. Here's Jerusalem. Here's the Mount of Olives. And here comes our Savior to bring to a final great consummation the great promises he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Turn, will you please, to Zechariah. Turn to this passage in Zechariah. Verse 3, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. As he fought in the day of battle. God will be against all the nations that are against Israel, against Jerusalem. They shall gather against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. Now will you move down just a little further? And notice... Verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord and his name one. There shall be one Lord and his name one. He shall be king over all the earth. Jesus Christ, beloved, is the only one who can save the sinner from his sin. He's the only one who can rule in righteousness. He's the only one who can bring peace. And all this palaver about peace, peace, peace. The Pope was talking about peace again tonight. And I heard announcement of the Pope, and he's got the same emphasis upon peace that we're going to somehow or other make the compromises and We'll get peace. It'll never come that way. The only way we can have peace right now is by the strength of, uh, of the might that there is upon this earth and our nation has it and if our nation would assert itself we could have some kind of peace at least for a little while. That's the only force. But Jesus Christ will come and when he comes and fights, delivers Israel, he's recognized, he'll be king over all the earth we're going to see a reign of righteousness on this earth we're going to see a millennial kingdom in which Christ will rule visibly personally I have no problems with that matter beloved he was a babe visible person he was a teacher visible person he was in Jerusalem once why couldn't he come back again He was crucified. They buried him. He was raised from the dead. There's only one place in the universe where Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. It's right here, just outside the walls of Jerusalem. Of all the sacred places that ought to be sacred to the church of Christ, it should be Calvary's cross and an empty tomb. And where do you go to see that? Mars? No jupiter no out to the ends of the universe no it's here on this little place where you and i are moving around tonight and god's son his only son came down here and was born of this virgin mary and he was without sin and he met the demands of the law so that he wouldn't have to die for his own sins and as one who was guiltless and one who was without guile and one who was perfect he could die in our stead in our room and pay the penalty and we could have a message to preach and Francis McKemmy preached it 200 years ago and I'm preaching it tonight and it's the only message that can help anybody on this earth it's the only message that can save and deliver it's the only message that can bring life and that message is in this one Jesus Christ and the day's coming when he's going to fulfill the promises that God gave to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and David and he will come and Jerusalem, Jerusalem will be the golden place. I'll tell you about that next Sunday night. Isn't it interesting that at just this particular time, They say the Bible's full of myths. They're afraid you might believe these things. Isn't it interesting that Satan, and don't you tell me this modernism and this apostasy and all that they're doing to destroy the faith of men is born of a dragon. That's where it came from. Satan. It's born of these evil forces to take away from the minds of men and the ears of men and the hearts of men the only message that will deliver them from death and deliver them from the awful tribulation which is to come upon the earth and to deliver them from hell. This is all satanic. Don't let anybody deceive you. And beloved, if I were you dear people tonight, I'd tell you I'd get next to this Bible. I'd get into a church where they're preaching it. I'd bring my children to church. And frankly, I think it's better here tonight than any place in Collingswood because it's cool here and it's hot outside. But I'd bring my children and I'd let them sit under the preaching of the gospel and I'd let them begin to study these things and their little minds and their little hearts would just open up precious. I had a precious thing happen in Cape May this weekend. Has the family been down there? And they're in the Fourth Presbyterian Church in in, uh, in Washington. They're getting out. Uh, they're getting out. They want a Presbyterian. They want to buy a Presbyterian church down there, and that lot of them getting ready. That's Feg Springman's church. They where he was. They want to get out. And here are two young people, and they wanted to join the church, and they wanted to be baptized, and they were. So they came to me and said, "We're not going to join that Fourth Presbyterian Church. We wouldn't be baptized over there for anything." And I said to their parents, I said, are you coming out? Yes, we're getting out. We're just, we're getting out. We've quit giving now. We're getting out. And these little children came. These two children came. They said, Dr. McIntyre, we want to be baptized. Would you baptize? He says, yes, I'll do it. I said, have you got enough sense? You've got enough judgment? You've got enough discernment that you wouldn't go back in the church and worship there and be baptized? And you want to be a Bible Presbyterian? Oh, yes, we're going to be Bible Presbyterian. So I called the elders together down there. We had... We met with them, heard their testimony, and I baptized those two young people this morning. I got one of the greatest thrills out of it. And some of you people are got kids that have got more discernment than you have. Some of you parents have got honest children. They're just as honest as they can be. And they read this and look at the Lord and they say, I can't do that. And they don't do it. But you people aren't that honest. You read this and you look at the Lord and you say, Lord, give me time. That's the trouble with you people. You're just not honest with the Lord. You read this, you look at the Lord, you say, Lord, not now, give me time. But the young, young girl looks at it, she says, that's right, Lord, that's right, this is bad. Lord, I don't need any time. Here I am, I'm honest. And there's a basic dishonesty in the conduct of a great many of you Christian people when you won't face up to these issues now. There's a trifling with God and a trifling with your own rewards at the hands of the living God. Beloved, I tell you tonight, it would be a fearful thing for the Lord to come tonight and leave some of you people here to go through this tribulation. It would be an awful thing. And furthermore, if the Lord came tonight You really would be in a fix to face him in the apostasy and be in fellowship with it. How can you go with clean hands into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ when you're yoked up with that which Satan has produced in our day? Unbelief in the house of God. Unbelief in the house of God. And oh, beloved, I was preaching down there by that McKemmy monument this afternoon and... The Lord sent us a cool breeze in there, and I saw that wonderful crowd. We had a marvelous crowd. And I saw the Spirit, and I said, Oh, Lord, won't you send your Spirit on some preachers today? Lord, won't you send your Spirit on some preachers today, some young men, get all through with this fussing around about little things. Send some anointing on some of the younger men today, and let them go out and preach and preach and preach. And those who see it and those who understand, let them come and worship in their homes. Let them come and worship in their basements. Let them come and be separate from this apostasy and build churches which will be lighthouses to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to have to have. Bishop Stevens was down there with me. And you know Bishop Stevens made a talk. He's getting to where he speaks respectable English now. And you can understand him. I've been coaching him all week. I can understand him better than he can understand me. I tell him to come go with me and he just sits there and folds his hand. He doesn't understand what I mean. But you know, that dear man gets up there and he tells those people that he has churches and they meet in huts, huts, huts. That's what he calls them now. It's a little wigwam, little huts. That's all they are. They worship in huts. Now, you can worship in a nice front room with a big rug on the floor and television in one end and all the nice magazines and books that you can buy and you people just live in comfort. Just comfort. And these men come out of poverty and they've given it all up. What is it? Nothing, absolutely nothing, beloved. Eternity's upon us. The end of the centuries have come upon us. The end of the ages is here. Palestine is moving. The Lord's getting ready to come back. And the time is at hand. Another thing, a man came to me after the service this morning, dear man, he said, you know, well, I'm going to stop because I have to go back to Cape May. But listen, Philip a man said to me he says you know I was over in a church just a short time ago and he said the preacher spoke 20 minutes 20 minutes and he says one of the men came to me and apologized for it he says he apologized that our preacher spoke 20 minutes he says he said it was awfully hard to listen 20 minutes well I must have preached this morning about 45 minutes and I've already preached my share of the time tonight but you know what that man said to me he says McIntyre. entire He says, I listened to you preach. And he says, I forgot what time it was. He says, I forgot what time it was. I says, brother, I says, in the old days, when they had these great preachers, they went out and they preached and they preached and men came to Christ and they had revivals and they didn't worry about the time. They didn't worry about the time. They never did worry about the time. They were interested in getting the work of God done. They were interested in learning the things that God has to give them. And if preachers will give people the truth and preach sin and judgment and men get saved and people come to the knowledge of the Lord, you will have a church. You will have a remnant. You will have a company that will hold together by the Spirit of God. And that's what we're going to have to have, little groups here, little groups there, little groups there, all around. One lady said to me this after, Mr. McIntyre, she says, I guess I'm going to have to start a church in my home. I says, lady, go to it. Start in your home. And when I go off and see these things, and when I come back and see the bishop, and then I come back to my own church and my own platform and my own rug and my own pews and all you nice dressed looking people and look at you and I say, what in the world's the matter with my people? You people don't know what you've got. And somebody ought to tell you. You people don't understand how good God's been to you. That we'd have a church of this capacity and this size and they have nothing and they want it. Oh, beloved, when I get into these last days and we're in them now, the Lord may come tomorrow, he may come tonight. I don't know when he's coming or he may delay a while longer. So a few more souls can be saved but I know that when the elect company is completed the rapture will take place and we'll go and thank God I'll get a view of the battle of Armageddon from the grandstand seat of the heavens. I'll see the battle of Armageddon. You'll see the battle of Armageddon but it'll be from the sky and we'll see the massing of the forces of darkness and all the powers of iniquity as these evil spirits through the dragon moving into the beast and the false prophet gather all the nations and all the kings and then the trumpet says, Go, go, come to the supper of the great God. He's going to lay out the carcasses and if you just look at some of these pictures that were in the newspapers this last week about out there, about Israel running over the Arabs and what do you see? The carcasses laying there in the desert carcasses lay, And what happened? The birds come and pick them up. And that's exactly what's going to happen in that great day. And that's going to happen to all these preachers say, oh, isn't that awful that God would kill so many people? Beloved, there's a just God in heaven and the wages of sin is death and unless you repent of your sins, you are going to perish and go to hell. And it's the judgments of God against sin that our generation needs to hear tonight. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank Thee tonight that there is a remnant, a little remnant, a precious remnant. And Lord, we thank Thee for Thy goodness to this church and to us tonight. May Bishop Stephen leave a mark upon us. Lord, as we saw what happened in the Eastern Shore tonight, God, may there be some churches started there and give us preachers. Give us laymen who can preach. Give us young men who will go to preaching and preaching and preaching. Please, Thee, by the foolishness of preaching. Oh, Father, we thank Thee tonight that our eyes are open. And when we see the blindness of the Jews, we pray that that remnant that you promised, that some of them will be saved even now. Because we know that someday Christ will come and they'll see his nail-pierced hand. And they'll know him as the Messiah. Father, we thank Thee for all these precious promises. Now help us to enjoy the latter days. Help us to enjoy the scriptures. Help us to understand them. For Christ's sake, amen.